Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Improving Inclusive Care, Enhancing HPV Vaccine Uptake Among LGBTQ Individuals. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported through an independent educational grant from Merck & Company Incorporated, Rahway, New Jersey, USA. Hi, my name is Dr. Jewel Kling. I'm a women's health internist and the chair of women's health internal medicine at Mayo Clinic in Arizona. In this activity, we'll be examining the clinical impact of suboptimal HPV vaccination in LGBTQ plus individuals and discussing strategies to enhance HPV vaccine acceptance amongst these populations. Now, in our first session, let's examine the low HPV vaccination rates among different at-risk groups and discuss the consequences of suboptimal HPV vaccine uptake. Now, the burden of HPV infection in the U.S. is significant. In addition to causing HPV-related cervical cancers, persistent HPV infection can cause anogenital and oropharyngeal cancers. The number of new HPV-related cancer cases per year are significant, with over 24,000 females and 19,000 males being diagnosed with new HPV-related cancer cases per year. Well, like many other things, the LGBTQ population faces significant disparities as it relates to HPV vaccines. LGBTQ plus is an acronym for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer, and the plus sign recognizes the limitless sexual orientations and gender identities used by members of the community. Studies show that LGBTQ plus individuals are disproportionately affected by HPV infection and related disease, and that's why we're here today to talk about how to address those disparities. Now, in LGBTQ plus individuals, we see higher rates of anal cancer. The incidence in gay and bisexual men and men who have sex with men are up to 19 times higher compared to the general population and up to 85 times higher among individuals with HIV. Rates of high-risk HPV infection are greater in sexual minority and transgender women as well. Vaccination effectively prevents not only HPV infection, but also cervical, anal, oropharyngeal, and other cancers, as well as anogenital warts. Now, this is a staggering fact. Vaccination could prevent 33,000 of the 36,000 cancers per year caused by HPV in the U.S., the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices recommends HPV vaccine for kids age 11 to 12, but can be started as early as age 9, and for some adults greater than 26 to 45 years of age who are not adequately vaccinated. The vaccination rates in the LGBTQ plus population are suboptimal. The rates among all adolescents 13 to 17 years remains below the 80% target, but the situation is worse for LGBTQ plus populations. For young gay bisexual men, less than 20% initiate and less than 10% complete the series. For adults, less than 30% initiate. And for lesbian and bisexual women, less than 50% initiate, less than 25% complete series. So there's clearly a gap here. And the good news is we can make a difference in closing that gap for our LGBTQ plus patients. Now, next time we'll be talking about low HPV vaccination among LGBTQ plus individuals. Are disparities the cause? In this session, we'll take a look at the range of factors that contribute to disparities in HPV vaccine uptake among LGBTQ plus individuals. A good place to start may be looking at the intention behavior gap. 
Now, research shows us that LGBTQ plus individuals generally view HPV vaccination positively, yet vaccine uptake remains low. So what's the deal? This idea of an intention behavior gap may explain that. It's where the intention to undergo vaccination does not always equate to vaccine uptake and completion. This gap suggests that some factors may be contributing to the gap between intention and behavior, such as low awareness and missed opportunities during primary care visits. So let's explore that first on the clinician side and then on the patient side. Health inequities in the LGBTQ plus population occur in a context where heterosexuality prevails as the norm, which ultimately results in gaps in knowledge and challenges for us as clinicians. This can manifest as hesitancy or discomfort at addressing gender identity, sexual orientation, or sexual characteristics or even uncertainty about the use of language or terminology. Our best intention is to allow our patients to show up as their authentic self. But if we're nervous that we're going to use their wrong name or their wrong pronoun, sometimes we may not go there, but we need to. Other factors that can impact or contribute to barriers for HPV vaccination include lack of awareness about key health needs, stress, and mental health services as an example in the LGBTQ population. Unintentional insensitivity or bias can certainly factor in. And lastly, inconsistency recommending HPV vaccination. Now, on the patient-centered side, LGBTQ individuals have been demonstrated to have a lot of factors that could potentially explain why they're not getting HPV vaccine. That includes having access to a regular clinician, not discussing relevant health details such as their sexual identity or gender identity due to a real fear of stigma or discrimination perhaps even having a low perception of their vulnerability to HPV. Other intersectional factors can also contribute, such as ethnic or cultural differences or geographic differences. Similar to our other heterosexual and cisgender patients, they may be concerned about cost, access, or convenience. An important factor here is that the health inequities faced by the LGBTQ population are likely compounded by multiple structural barriers, including things like historic stigma and discrimination. In our next session, we'll talk about navigating HPV vaccine safety and efficacy, deciphering clinical insights from the data. In this third session, we will review the clinical data behind the guideline-recommended HPV vaccines, specifically the data pertaining to LGBTQ individuals. Now, the approved HPV vaccines target specific high-risk HPV types, particularly type 16 and 18. You can see here that the different vaccines include other high-risk HPV types, including 16 and 18. This is important because high-risk HPV types are responsible for the cancers that we have discussed. Greater than 90% of cervical and anal cancers, greater than 50% of vaginal and vulvar cancers, 36% of penile cancers, and 63% of oropharyngeal cancers. Now, the good news is we do see long-term efficacy of HPV vaccine in addressing these cancer risks in the general population. Up to 97% protection from high-grade cervical, vulvar, and vaginal diseases that are caused by HPV, and significant decreases in anogenital warts and CIN2+. Studies show that the protection lasts greater than six years and up to eight years for many, with antibody positivity in greater than 90% of people for greater than five years. 
Similarly, for males who have sex with men, gay, bisexual men, and transgender women, we see long-term efficacy. HPV-associated anal intraepithelial neoplasia, or AIN, we see up to 80% protection, including in people living with HIV, which may prevent HPV infection in high-grade AIN. Up to 95% lower risk is seen for people that are HPV naive versus 60% lower risk with higher HPV exposure, but it's still closing a gap in addressing a risk of cancer. Now, we do see greater efficacy if it's administered less than five years after first anal sex or when initiated at less than 23 years of age. So attempting to talk to our younger patients about this may give them better protection. As it relates to penile infection, we see up to 85% lower risk of penile infection infection if initiated less than 18 years of age. So again, similar here, make sure you're talking to your younger patients and the adolescents about getting their HPV vaccine. One thing that may come up in your clinical practice is long-term safety of HPV vaccination. And the good news is in the general population, we don't see significant risk. In fact, clinical studies in greater than 65,000 individuals and monitoring of greater than 135 million doses administered for greater than 15 years demonstrate the safety of the HPV vaccines. In our next section, we'll be talking about empowering HPV vaccination uptake in the LGBTQ community, both clinical and patient-centered approaches. So now let's discuss strategies we can implement to enhance the uptake of HPV vaccines in LGBTQ plus individuals. Strong clinician recommendation makes a difference when it comes to vaccine acceptance. And this is the same as it relates to HPV vaccine acceptance. Patients are up to 40 times more likely to receive a vaccination if it's recommended by their clinician. It's important that we're making recommendation based on a person's age, not their sex, gender, sexual activity, or sexual orientation. Non-disclosure of sexual identity is a recognized barrier to HPV vaccination in the LGBTQ plus population. So if we can facilitate a space that's safe and neutral for our patients so they feel like they can disclose to us, we're going to close those gaps and enhance the options for them or the opportunities for them to get their HPV vaccine. Ways to promote disclosure include providing a safe space by asking patients to clarify terms related to their sexuality in a non-judgmental way, using gender-neutral language. So, for example, use their first name if you don't know what their pronouns are, or when you're talking about their partners, using gender-neutral terms like partner. Also, fostering awareness of local barriers, cultural norms, and other challenges faced by the LGBTQ plus populations will allow us to promote that atmosphere where our patients may feel more comfortable disclosing. Additional opportunities that may help address the gap in HPV vaccine uptake include using resources or strategies like bundling HPV vaccine with other vaccinations and services, such as giving it when you're going to give your flu shot, or potentially if you're screening for other STIs like HIV. Utilizing user-friendly and interactive resources can also help close those gaps. Research shows that patient education, including things like active information sessions or passive pamphlets, can help assure folks get their HPV vaccines. Other resources may be beneficial that help navigate costs and insurance. Those are certainly barriers for our patients, so if we can actively address them, it'll close that gap. Additionally, patient skills training for discussing vaccination with their doctor can be helpful. Additional ways to facilitate HPV vaccination in LGBTQ plus individuals includes effective patient education. So make sure that you're providing consistent, comprehensive patient education to close any knowledge gaps. 
patients' knowledge of HPV and their perceived susceptibility and severity to HPV are linked to greater acceptance. Additionally, utilize patient education in combination with other patient or clinician-focused interventions, such as if you're sending them a reminder for other vaccines, make sure that you're including information about HPV vaccines to those patients. In our next session, we're going to talk about strategies for successful implementation of HPV vaccine administration. In our final session, we'll look at the practical aspects of HPV vaccine administration and highlight some strategies we can use in the clinic to help ensure successful vaccination for our LGBTQ patients. Electronic health reminders are a low-cost, scalable approach to increase HPV vaccine uptake, and these reminders can be delivered by phone call, text message, email, or portal message, and can be personalized or paired with brief educational messages. Now, in research looking at these tools, the benefit is enhanced when paired with confidential feedback for us as clinicians on our success with HPV vaccination. We need to be alert for our own biases. Implicit biases impact medical decision-making and may result in suboptimal communication or recommendations regarding the vaccination, including being impacted by things like first impressions. For example, if you see somebody that looks young and you think, oh, they're probably not sexually active, you may then decide not to offer the vaccine. But our own personal assumption or bias based on how we view somebody shouldn't impact that recommendation. Use the age-based recommendations as opposed to your assumption about what their behaviors may be. And then you may think the parents are already frustrated with the number of vaccinations recently, so maybe I'll just bring up the HPV vaccination at the next time. We're missing that opportunity based on some of our own implicit thoughts or biases in this particular scenario. Now, implicit biases towards LGBTQ plus individuals contribute to inequitable care and impair communication with patients. If we assume our patients are heterosexual or make assumptions about their gender identity or sexual orientation based on their outward gender presentation, we may fall into these biases or implicit biases or traps where we don't make evidence-based recommendations. We may miss that opportunity to counsel them specifically about their sexual behaviors or emphasize the need for HPV vaccine related to cancers that they may be at higher risk for. If you don't know, just ask your patient in a non-judgmental way. And again, provide that space where they feel comfortable disclosing to you. Through our sessions, we've talked about recognizing the importance of HPV vaccination for LGBTQ plus individuals. We also talked about the significant disparities in the LGBTQ population, and we explored ways to close those gaps by creating a safe space in our clinical environment so our patients can disclose and share their authentic self. And the good news is LGBTQ plus people across the board recognize the importance of HPV vaccination. With these tools, we can address these important gaps and make sure that our LGBTQ plus individuals have access to these potentially life-saving vaccines. Thanks for joining. Thank you for listening please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.